I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Places, everyone. It's time for The The Connor Connor and Smith Show. Thank you, places. Okay, we are working out of our usual workbook, You're Weird, a creative journal for misfits, oddballs, and anyone else who's uniquely awesome by Kate Peterson. Kate, you owe us some sponsor money at this point. uh, Kate, I... Coat? Coat? I don't know what's going on. I think I've had too much water. Oh, is that a thing? I think it is. I think your brain starts swimming around. Oh, it's podcast time. The pugs are coming up on the couch. Oh, I've got one pug. The other one's looking for extra food. Okay, so we're just going to do a quick exercise here. How do you think you'd be described by, number one, your best friend? Matt, you go. Um, my best friend would say I am a confidant. And a really good cook. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Who would your best friend say? Uh, I am persistent. Okay, number two. Uh, how would you be think you'd just be described? Oh my God, I have not had anything to drink. How do you think you'd be described by two? Someone you just met. Um, that I am courteous. Um, aloof, I will say. I can be a little fearful of people I don't know, or just closed in. Um, all right, three. How do you think you'd be described by your boss? A team player. Someone who plays for the entire team. Um, I'm going to use a word that my boss introduced me to, but described me as recently. Stratival. Stratival? Yeah, using strategy in an evil genius kind of way. I love that word. Okay, so those are three examples of, you'll see, yeah. our, our guest tonight is Albert or Abby Ibarra. And if you're listening at home, feel free to, to write down your answers. Yeah, and you know, put them in the comments of wherever you see this. So, we're going to take a really quick break and then we'll be right back. Oh my god, the pugs are just trying to give a bath to Matthew, and I'm sure if you hear weird sounds, that's what it is. All right, we'll be right back. Yes, I am. Hi there, this is Steven. Hi, Abby. I'm, hi, Abby, and I'm Matt. Hi, Matt. If you hear someone raspy in the corner, that's me. <laughs> or our two pugs, which are also sitting around here. So oh, I, I'm hoping my dog doesn't want to wake, uh, come over here and bug me and say she wants to go outside, but I think she'll be okay over there. What <laughs> kind of dog do you have, Abby? Uh, she's a mix. She's a, a poodle and a Jack Russell Terrier. So... Oh, wow. A very, a very smart dog and a very crazy dog mixed together. A judal. <laughs> Perhaps. Well, how old is she? Uh, I think she's going to be seven this this November. Oh, awesome. She's a, she's, a, she's a rescue. So we've had her for six years. She was a year old when we got her. So she was uh, a baby uh, a rescue. Yeah, she was about, just about a year when we found her. We love dogs and dog people, so of course I got diverted from you know to your pet first. Sorry, no um, worries. <laughs> so, Abby, um, I just want to talk about like your journey of of, of an, being an artist. What, where, what started your path? Where were you when you started? I believe my past started when my dad told me about his mom, who was an actress uh, in San Diego, and she she. Uh, she, she did a show once with Gloria Swanson. That's how old uh, that oh, wow. story is. So my dad used to tell me stories about uh, his mom. And, and I grew up just uh, enthralled about uh, theater. Uh, and my dad loved old, uh, he used to show the movies in our house. He worked for a film company. So I grew up watching all the MGM musicals. And I kept imagining my grandmother uh, dancing, and, you know. And so I, I started uh 
anytime there was a show at school, I started uh, from the from kindergarten. So I, I've been actually trying to do something on the stage since I was five years old. And my brothers and I would sing. My mom worked at this uh, Jewish bakery in San Diego, the Bohemian Bakery. And uh, we they put us up on the tables because we were little guys. And we would sing uh, songs. And then the owner, Dorothy Goldberg, would say, go have anything you want in the, in the bakery. So we, I, I, my first job was singing for donuts and cake. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> the best pay for youth, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and, and I've been doing it, you know, I was always in school. I was always, you know, in studious and all that and did all my sports. But in the back of my mind, my, my dream was to be a song and dance man. You know, I just, uh, I, I craved for that idea. Of course, life derails you and you go to college and you do other things and, and um, stuff got in the way. And, 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 you know, I kept coming back to it, but I never left it. And I finally, I finally got hooked into it uh, rather late because I was in my 20s when I went to, I uh, wanted to go to LA the first time. And then I ended up in Sacramento working. Uh, and then I came back to, 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 to Los Angeles and, and started getting involved in shows and stuff like that. So it was a lot so you're of from California. Yes, yes. Born and raised in San Diego. And where are you now? Chesapeake Beach, Maryland. Okay. So, so what you say you, as you grew up, things got in the way, what kind of took over your life before you got back to show business? Um, uh, going to college mm -hmm. and then, uh, uh, working, uh, in jobs that I had to take because, uh, I got married rather young. And so, uh, I, all, all of a sudden I had a family have to pay for them. So it was school and work. Uh, mm -hmm. and then, uh, but I never stopped playing. I was in bands, I should say. I, I started singing in a in musical bands. So I was in rock and roll bands. I played in uh, country bands. I played every kind of music there is. My favorite was old show tunes. I, I, I used to sing with a big band uh, occasionally in San Diego. And um, I got to sing all my favorite show tunes. And then uh, went to Northern California and started a trio uh, that I'm still playing with uh, 30 years later. Uh, we still, you know, meet once a year. We're meeting in October in Sacramento to play. Everybody wants to retire now, so I guess it might be our last gig. But, <laughs> so I've been, I've always played music, and then from music I went into uh, um, musical theater. So that that's kind of like a real, and then into and then into theater, you know. So explain to our listeners what uh, a trio consists of. Three guys. Uh, we play. We were we were all acoustic, and then we went. To play, I played uh, piano, so I, I got electric piano and two guitars, and then I went to a electric bass and acoustic guitar. So it's a real the blend sound of, I love the blended sound. We were able to do a lot of different kinds of songs. Uh, my background as a, as a as a Pascuayaki from Arizona, our tribes are on both sides of the border, so I, I am bilingual. So we sang a lot of songs. They taught me the songs in Spanish. I never knew what I was singing, and then they had to tell me how to. Uh, uh, what was I singing so I could I could interpret the song better? But it was a lot of fun. So I we played uh, every kind of music there is: uh, Spanish boleros, which are the slow ones. Uh, we played uh, Beatles songs, uh, Motown songs. We played everything. So a little bit of everything for three guys. We've made a lot of noise and a lot and some good music. And was there something in your life? Am I am I just making this up? A TV or radio connection or something? Yes, yes. Uh, when I was working in Sacramento, I've, I uh, landed a job uh, hosting a community um, uh, magazine show. Uh, and I started working in television as a host of a show. And then I became a reporter from there, working part-time uh, as a weekend reporter for a CBS station. And then uh, some, somebody else nabbed me from a PBS station and and asked me to do, so I started getting projects from different TV stations because I wasn't full time at the CBS station. And so uh, I did a lot of television uh, and did a lot of documentaries, went to Nicaragua, went to uh, Nicaragua and El Salvador uh, during the war times. And uh, that was scary. That cured me actually, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to be a reporter more than anything. And we got nominated for an Emmy one year and I got all these offers. So I, as I went on to interview all over town. Uh, I got one last offer to go to El Salvador. Went down there and uh, we got arrested and uh, uh, we got thrown out of the country because I was talking to the rebels and uh, that cured me. The having guns shoved, shoved in my face and cocked 
they would cock the shotguns in your stomach and, and ask you, where's your papers? And you know, it was a really scary deal. So that cured me of being a, a wartime correspondent. And, and I went to something that was uh, something nice, like music and theater. <laughs> right. Quite the change. <laughs> yeah. It was a, a drastic change. Uh, yeah. It's I, 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 I've always wondered about the world of like TV news and stuff like that. I, I did like uh, tour the, the, the weather station of my, uh, I grew up in the Pittsburgh area and uh, the weather station up there got to kind of see the studio and all that stuff. And it was always so magical to me, but I imagine much like anything else, once you're actually in that world, the, you know, the smoke and mirrors kind of wear off a little. Yeah. And Abby, when you're saying that, I'm thinking I'm immediately drawn back to the runway in, I guess, Ghana during oh, yeah. Jonestown, yeah. you know? Yes. Yeah. It was, it was, that, it was that kind of scary. I, you know, when I first went to, a, here's the difference. Nicaragua was uh, a, a, a beautiful, the, 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 the beautiful people and I, I interviewed people all over the country and the and the military people I encountered were very nice and, and one time I was doing a stand-up for a, a piece and and a, a jeep came up with these two kids they were kids they looked like they were 12 and they said sir very politely in Spanish they go oh, you can't take pictures uh, near the the military bases I said I'm sorry they go thank you so I moved on in El Salvador it was the opposite they came with their machine guns out of the out of the out of nowhere, stuck them in our faces and ordered us out of the car. I felt sorry for our, our Salvadorian driver, but because they gave him the third degree and then they sent us down to another military base where they, uh, you know, interrogated us some more. And then we went back to our, um, we were watched and followed for quite a while. And then they caught us again up in the mountains where the rebels were. And uh, this time they hauled us into a, another, the, the, the commander, the, the, of the army, his office and the and the and the kind of like the CIA office for their military, and they told us we can't guarantee your safety anymore. You're you're not you're not safe for this country. And I just went <gasps> and they go, you're leaving, and there's a plane. We're going to take you to your hotel, and they took us to the hotel. We packed uh, within an hour, and they stuck us on a plane. <laughs> wow, that's fascinating. Uh, I was scared out of my mind. Oh. But that makes a good transition to musical theater. Um, but being scared out of your mind? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I said, I got to do something that it's, I love. I love reporting, but I also love music. And so uh, there it is. Segue back to music. Well, and you also like your, you know, health and safety. Yes, so yes. There's that. So, so what was that moment for you that, that was like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm going to. Was that the moment? Well, yeah, because even in L.A., I was getting calls from from uh, producers and stuff that had documentaries. And and I used to do a lot of voiceover work. And so they called me up and I did a documentary on a on a show from from actually from Nicaragua, a, a playwright called Alan Bolt had come to Los Angeles and uh, left a guy that I knew uh, his, his, his musical. And it was called the Salsa Opera. And we went to the, they, they put it at the Padua Hills Playwright Festival, which was started by a bunch of actors from Hollywood. It still might be going on now, but the Padua Hills Playwright Festival, we went in there and I got to sing and dance. And uh, I, and just, it was so, so fun. It was so much fun. We had a live band uh, and it was just great. It was outdoors at uh, Cal State Northridge. Uh, out in, they set up a, a, a place outside. It was just magical. And I said, I, this is where I belong. I knew it. I knew it. even though it was hard work learning to, to dance at the age of, you know, in my 30s, late 30s, I had to learn how to dance because the, the director said, we're going to go on tour, but I can't afford just a stand up singer. You're going to have to dance, boy. So I started dancing. <laughs> wow. So what what came along next? What kept uh, kept? So this was. What, around what year would you say this was? Uh, this was 1987, 88. Okay. Quite a while ago. And so the next show that came up was a show that was called uh, Forgotten Hollywood, Hollywood Olvidado, Forgotten Hollywood in Spanish. And we did, we started with uh, all the, uh, the, the Latin film stars from the 30s 
uh, up until we ended with West Side Story. Nice. So, uh, we sang, I sang, uh, I was Cuban Pete. I did a thing with uh, Desi Arnaz. I played Cuban Pete, did some dances. I sang, uh, I got to sing Maria. Uh, and we, and we did we did the fight. It was it was a lot of fun. It was a great show. We toured up and down California. It was great. And and what what eventually brought you to the East Coast? Oh, uh, my wife got got a job offer out here, and it was a dream job for her. And I thought, well, Washington D.C. has theater. <laughs> New York's really close by, <laughs> so so I I came. You know, I said, okay, let's do it. So we moved. And around when was that? Uh, 2000. Okay. I actually started living here in 2001. So about 20 years here. Yep. And and what's what's so give me a summary of your past 20 years here and what you think of this area kind of. I, I love it. Well, it's I mean, not San Diego. It's, it's not San Diego. It's not no. San Diego. It's not the weather. It, it's took, it, you know, it's taken me all this time to get used to the weather here, the humidity and all that. But. You know, I, I went to work. Um, I, I I went to work for the for the District of Columbia for a while. I, I have a, a an education background, so I when I wasn't working on a show, I was I was teaching environmental education. So I, I got a job with the D.C. government, uh, doing environmental ed for the entire district. And uh, from there, I met more and more people. And then um, I I found an agent. Uh, it was about two thousand and four, two thousand five. I, I got a couple agents and. All of a sudden, I had more work than I could handle doing voice voice work, uh, on camera stuff, industrial stuff for the federal government, uh, and so I quit my job at DC because it was a horrible job, and for the for the district government, it was just it was bizarre world. So I, I left. I, I wouldn't plan to stay long, but uh, finding a lot of work got me uh, uh, back back on track using my voice or my other talents, and then I I. I saw an ad for a play at the uh, Native American Museum, and I thought, well, I don't think they're going to hire me. I, I, these are really young-looking roles here. They're, you know, 24 and uh, 30, and so I went down and auditioned, and they hired me. So I got back in, into theater here in D.C., and then I auditioned a couple times. First, I did some readings at the arena, and then I got a call to go do a play in New York City uh, about 2012, 13, around there. And I've been going back every year to New York, and so I've been off for a year. But I've done, done loads of plays. I did a play at the uh, Public Theater. Uh, it was a great play. It was called Manhattan. And when when I did it, I was the dad. And when it went to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, they rewrote it, and they wrote the dad out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the way it was is the dad was mourning the loss of his wife. And when they went to uh, Oregon, it was the woman, the mom, uh, mourning the loss of her husband. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, written out. Uh, I, I, I cried. And when I, I saw the, I work for the playwright all the time, Mary Catherine Nagel. And I said, why did you do that? She goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, what was the play at the uh, Native American Museum? It was called uh, uh, Grandchildren of the Buffalo Soldier by okay. William Yellow, by William Yellowrope. Um, he's kind of like one of the deans of native theater in the United States, and he's been a, a major, uh, you know, source of, of, uh, of uh, you know, for for uh, for younger the you know, playwrights to come that are coming up the ranks to uh, to to follow his footsteps. So, so Bill Yellowrobe uh, saved me from the doldrums of of uh, you know of jobs around D.C. and and got me to to New York because he. When I went to New York, I did another one of his plays called Wood Bones, uh, and uh, it was a fantastic play. Uh, and, and and after that, I just kept getting calls to go work in New York. So I got I finally got to join AEA when I got to New York. And nice Actors Equity, and so that was my SAG card I've had forever since '85. I think I had my SAG card. It was actually I was my, one of the last things before the the shutdown you know the pandemic my mother was here and I was able to take her uh to the Native American Museum for the first time and see all of it it's such a beautiful building and the uh the theater and everything else and then you know that was the last museum I've been to in over a year um but I I don't I don't think at the point recently they were doing live theater I think it, it was just like movies and stuff 
Yeah, um, that, that stage is magical. It's a great space. The when you when you work on that stage, the the audience is, is it's, it's a very very warm theater. Mm-hmm. And it was so great. I think we were the last live play to be put on there. They had some financial difficulties a few years later, and a lot of the staff were gone. So um, I was lucky to have had that opportunity. But it's a great stage if if uh, you ever get a chance to use it. It's and it just sits there. It's dark all the time, which is really sad. Is it is is it when you're doing a show in in a museum? Is it open to the visitors coming to the museum as if it's a part of the museum, or do you pay extra and it's run just like a theater inside a museum? It's run like a theater inside a museum, but the tickets, because it is a public uh, space, you have to reserve the tickets and they're free. Mm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. So they can't charge you to be inside, but they, um, uh, they, you have to make reservations in advance and, uh, and people just can't walk off the street making noise and stuff. You know, it's there's some there's some protocol. <laughs> there's such a weird niche kind of thing about museum theater in D.C. I know a lot of our friends had done a piece at the Museum of the Bible. Uh, they did what was it called? Um, Amazing Grace. Amazing oh. Grace. We did a, a like a pop review thing at the Air Force Memorial in the like 2000. It was beautiful. What the the review? No, absolutely. No, it was not. Um, <laughs> and that theater is not like a shallow, like apron with well, very steep seating. Well, I'm assuming the Air Force uh, Memorial was probably designed in. A... It was actually the Navy Memorial. I'm sorry. sorry, it was Navy Memorial. Navy. It, pro- it felt more like a le- lecture hall. Where it was you for would, movies where you would give like, yeah. oh yeah, well, yeah. Anyways, so yeah, that, that's. That was very successful. Museum theater. It's it's that's DC. It's classic DC. I haven't been to any of these museums. Well, downtown. the 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 director of the play was a was an actual was in charge of the theater, uh, Vincent Scott, Vinny. He was raised and I think he went to college and he he did a lot of work on one of the Cinnabone reservations up in Montana where the playwright was from, and that's how he got to know the playwright. So he he was a, a stickler to anybody and everybody who had anything to do with theater at the museum to honor, you know, and uh, respect once they got inside the theater. It wasn't just another room to run around in. And, uh, it, we had some great crowds because it was done at night. So mm-hmm. it was after the theater was closed. So you had a, a, um, a, your, you know, the theater to yourself. So it wasn't any daytime matinees or anything. It was all at night. So the theater was closed. And so we had people who had reserved reservations only got in. And then there was like a regular theater to me. It was just really nice. What year was that around? 2011. 11. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and so with all this, you're also a writer as well? Well, I, I used to, you know, as I started writing, I went to college and I took a lot of journalism and then I switched over to education. But I, I've written for, for uh, newspapers uh, for years. I used to write for the Bay Weekly out here in, uh, in Chesapeake Beach. It was uh, the Bay Weekly. I used to do a guest columns there. But I, I was asked, I did a show. Um, my first big writing just happened. I, did, I, uh, I, I wrote a, co-wrote a play because I wasn't sure of my, my, the style for, for, for uh, plays. You know, I've, I've interpreted a lot of plays and, and brought those plays, you know, the words to life. But writing the play myself, I knew what I wanted to say, and I had a writer I worked with, and we wrote a play. And so I, I have written my first play, but I have written a lot of other things. But this was—I just finished writing a play. And and what was what is the what is the play center on? The play centers on uh, a children's book that I read. I helped a, a, an author. Uh, my, my a friend of mine, we helped uh, this uh, woman we met uh, a number of years ago, about 2010, I think. Uh, she was trying to finish this children's book. And when I read the draft, it was uh, based on a thousand-year-old Ojibwe prophecy called the Seventh Fire Prophecy. And the holder of this oral story, it, it had never been written down. Her notes is what I read. So this oral story, the person that was in charge of the story who has passed away, Eddie Benton, and I, 
head of the Middowan Lodge up in Wisconsin asked her to write the story. He says, this story, it's time for the public to see this story. So she wrote the book called The Children of the Seventh Fire. And the seventh fires um, are the seven generations that have transpired since they started this prophecy. But the ending of it deals with all the, all the colors of the world, the whole rainbow of people coming together to save the earth. Because a thousand years ago, it was prophesied that the earth was going to be polluted and, and bad things were happening to the environment. So I, when I read this, I said, wow, this has got to be a children's book. So then I, I did a show 2019 at the Kennedy Center, uh, New Voices, New Visions, New Visions, New Voices. And um, we did a reading there for a play and I met the directors and they asked me if I've written anything to send it to them. They would be love to, uh, to see it. So, I, so what I was, I did a play, I got, I got hired to do the play in Omaha at the Rose Theater called Return to Niobrera and it was based on a history and a juxtaposed situation where uh, uh, the grandson, the great, great grandson uh, meets his ancestors in a dream. And um, a beautiful play we put on at the Rose Theater. So I, I, while I was working there, I met uh, Roxanne Walk, who is the director. And I started telling her about this idea I had for a children's play because it would work fine, perfect at the Rose Theater. So we started writing since then, since uh, that was the end of 2019, we started writing a play. And we just had the most of the, the, the draft completed by Christmas of 2019, just before the pandemic hit. And we were, we had sent it around to some other friends to read and got a lot of feedback and we're putting the final touches on it. And we're about to send it in and then the pandemic hit. So we uh, put it off for a while, for a year. And it, But it's, it's being produced? Um, we just heard from the from the producers of the play, and they were having a reading. They're doing the reading for us, so we could hear the play, uh, and watch the play uh, as observers for our own play. They're going to do a reading next uh, May tenth, I think it is, uh, next week, uh, two weeks, and we'll get a chance to uh, do some feedback. But they want to produce it for their their next season, which is twenty. 21-22, probably spring, uh, because it has a great education component to it that they want to add on to it. So it's called, it's going to be called um, Children of the, of the, uh, of the, of the, the Children of the Seventh Fire Prophecy. Okay, at least it's not Children of the Corn, right? No, Children of the Seventh Fire. <laughs> okay. The Seventh Fire, the number. Yes. And, and, so you you this fascinated me, Abby. You you were saying about Omaha and it, it being such a great theater town, oh. and I think that would be surprising to a lot of people. Can you kind of talk about Omaha? You know, as... I, I I had never been to Omaha, mm-hmm. and it's a not a huge city, but there is more theater per capita for the population than than equally to any other cities of their like size. And uh, I'm not sure the population of Omaha, but they have a wonderful community theater. They have, uh, you know, uh, theater uh, groups that come in and go, you know, uh, Hamilton, the plays that come and go like any other big city. And they have a huge uh, following. They have uh, great dance schools there for kids. So they're, they're continually training the next generation of, of theater artists because uh, they have so much theater in that the the, the school. The Rose Theater is a children's uh, focuses on on the themes on uh, family and, and youth uh, plays, and they have an education program where they go into the schools during the week, and they bring those kids to the theater, and they get to go through the costume department, and they have this fantastic costume department. And people rent their costumes; their, their costumes are are so deep, and they have a whole warehouse underneath the theater. Uh, that uh, they, they rent the costumes out. There's so many of them. But the students come through and get a flavor for that, similar to what I learned when I was a kid, when you, you're just in awe of a theater, and it, it, it seats a 1,000 people. So when I was working there, we had a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, a 1,000 kids, and they were, they were just thunderstruck by, by the play, and they were just quiet. You would you imagine a bunch of kids you know, running around, and they were just awestruck watching the play and then uh, they had we had question and answers afterwards. The kids were wonderful, so they're they're being you know acclimated to understanding how to how to attend theater and how to find out what theater does for everybody. You know, it's just 
it's a great it's a great teaching tool yeah and, and you know it's like when when most people get introduced to theater and they get so transfixed with the storytelling that they want to be a part in some way of that storytelling exactly. and then after you become a part of the storytelling you kind of then think about how you can contribute to actually the stories which is i think is how some people transition to writing because they understand how powerful the messaging really can be right. um, when you can, you know, maybe make a difference in someone's thinking about a variety of subjects. Right. The, the children that I, the, the, the play that I wrote, Children of the Seventh Fire, at the end, at the end of the play, when we do our final bow, the, there's going to be um, probably going to do age appropriate. Uh, students are going to go back to the crowd and say, and they're going to pitch to the students, you know, would you take a pledge with me to protect the earth? So it's a really mm -hmm. a great environmental message at the end. And, uh, and so, you know, they're, they're going to probably use a, another education component with, with the play that will go into mm -hmm. the schools and talk about environmental issues mm -hmm. uh, before they come see the play. So the kids are ready uh, to talk about it themselves from their own, from their own perspectives. Um, well, wow. that's, that, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's... You know, I, I, I have to remind, I go back to L.A. When I was in L.A. for about five years, I worked for a group, and they're still in existence called We Tell Stories. And we, it was, a, it was about 35, 40 actors, full-time actors, that we all had different sets of plays. We did Thurber, we did all kind, any, any book, any, any, any of the authors that you find in elementary schools or high schools, we did uh, stories up on stage, and halfway through this story, we'll stop the play and we'll say, I'm looking for a child who has a sad face, you know. And, and so we get these kids up on stage. We take them to the side and give them a, one or two lines or an activity to do. And they come out and do it, you know. And, and, and it, it, the, trans, the transformation of these kids, I had teachers tell me later on, they cringe when we pick like the, the class goof up. Right. We'd bring them up on stage. We don't know who they are. And the teachers are going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then he did so well. And after that, the, the whole the rest of the year, that student was was changed forever. But well, that, sure, because he found his place, which was exactly out exactly. on the stage. And it happened time and time again. The teachers would come up and tell us, oh, my God, you, you can't. The transformation of this person was amazing. So, you know, theater has this place for, for all of our societal ills, even especially young kids growing up and trying to, you know, make heads or tails out of what they're supposed to do. One kid we had, we said, okay, you're going to walk out there and pretend you're dying, grab your chest, and, you know, and, and then we'll, for the teacher's, uh, uh, you know, uh, enjoyment, we'll say, just as you die and you lay on the ground, I want you to look to the audience and yell, Rosebud. <laughs> and, then, you know, and this little kid did it so well it's just, so they, they love that stuff so it was a mixture of using this, the, the, the students to tell our story at the same time they get up on the stage but we tell stories it was so much fun and if I had an audition the next day I just call up somebody say can you take my shows for me and we got paid so much a show oh uh, wow it was great it was great and I loved it uh, so basically all of us theater kids were probably all just bad kids <laughs> who needed an outlet, right? Yes, yes. I was, I was the, the class clown. I was uh, always uh, mouthing off. I went to a Catholic school in San Diego, and I was always in trouble. I was always getting the ruler in the hand, uh, or they moved my desk outside because I would, I would say stuff. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. And, uh, the, the, they moved, I, wait, they moved your desk outside? Yes, they would just pull my disc and put it outside the, the, the door. So I, I was outside the classroom. Okay, not like outside the building. No, no, yeah. It was okay. In the hallway. I was picturing a different learning experience. <laughs> um, it's like, well, how can you hear the teacher? That's not fair. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that, was, that was the punishment. I couldn't be part of the class, you know. Oh, gosh. So I, was, you know, Come to think of it, I think I remember... I think maybe they, that's right. They would put your little desk because the desks were small enough to move really yeah, easy. Yeah. And they put, put you right outside. So if anybody was like randomly walking through the hall, you felt like the biggest reject. Yeah. You just sat there, you put your head down there and then any adult that went by and they look at you and they go. Yep. What a sad <laughs> case. 
Right. Oh my gosh. So, so I have to, I ask this of all of our guests. Um, so it's been a year, it's been a pandemic. Uh, what has kept you like occupied over the course of the year? Have you learned something new? Um, I, um, like everybody else was, was, you know, was just in awe of what was going on for what March, April, May. Uh, and then it started to lighten up. And when it started to lighten up in June, I got an email to do a zoom play. And so that's what I learned, how to work on Zoom. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so since since June of last year, I've done these multiple Zoom plays. Uh, in fact, I'm doing a rehearsal tomorrow and a show on Sunday for a, a program from Yale. It's the Yale Indigenous People's Artistic uh, Project. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Anyway, I went to Yale a couple of years ago. And we did it. But since it's COVID... We're doing a Zoom, and then two weeks later, I'm doing a play for New Hampshire University. So I'm still doing Zoom. Uh, theaters haven't opened up, but I've learned how to do work on Zoom. At first, I didn't like it; it was too difficult. And now I had I'm just having fun with it. And if if uh, are you okay consuming uh, like? books, uh, Netflix, is there anything that's kind of past oh, your time? Yes. The first three months I binged on Netflix, Ozarks, you name it, um, Bridgeter, or what was that one? It's on the- Bridgerton, yeah. Yeah, Bridge. That, uh, all of the plays, all of the movies, a series on Netflix. I stopped watching the movies. I got tired of the subtitles on Netflix. So I, <laughs> I saw movies that I didn't know. I, was, I saw Russian movies and uh, Chinese movies and Japanese movies. And then, but I, I think that the Netflix series were the best. But uh, I kept I kept my sanity doing Zoom, and and one of the one one of the for one of the first times I got a call from a, a person who who knew another person that I worked with in New York, and they said, "Do you still have your piano?" I go, "Yeah, I got two of them, one upstairs and one downstairs in my office." And they go, "Well, the senior centers have closed down in New York City, and we used to go do these shows." This, these seniors would, would write their own show. We put these little Broadway shows on, but now they're all at home. And would you be willing to sing some songs? And I go, sure. So I, I dusted off my old, uh, you know, Frank Sinatra. The boat ride we would take, the moonlight on the lake. You know, mm -hmm. Brought all that stuff out and started singing uh, for seniors in New York, in different boroughs. Every, every week was a different borough. I did like four of those shows. And it paid well. <laughs> so. Oh, that's awesome. And it probably brought back wonderful memories for them as well. Yeah, there was a sing-along for them. They could they could uh, sing along if they wanted to, if they knew the song. There was like three or four artists and then um, some, some talking that went on. And, and uh, they had little homework things that they had worked on. Sometimes uh, there was a pianist that was hired. Um, sometimes he would just, uh, they put a, a, a call out and who wanted to sing a song. And then they would try to do a song a sing-along song. So it was, pretty, it was a lot of fun. All right. And I'm also going to ask you, Matthew and I did this. Uh, how do you think you'd be described by, and the first question is, your best friend? How do you think you'd be described by your best friend? Oh. This answer does not need to be just like one word. <laughs> Interesting. Very fair. <laughs> or funny. <laughs> My, uh, Matt's was confident. Mine was persistent. Not confident. Confidant. Oh, confidant. Okay. Like I keep oh, yeah. secrets. Oh yeah. Oh good. 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 I keep a lot of secrets. People tell you can't. You can't tell anyone. I said, who am I going to tell? My mom used to tell me all the all the gossip from 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 California, and she would say, "Don't tell so and so. I don't tell so and so." I go, mom. I'm three thousand miles away. Who am I going to tell? You tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> We should start another podcast where people just tell us their secrets, and then we Isn't say, "Well, your secret's safe with us." Well, and it's the, that it wouldn't be a secret anymore. Isn't that the post secret pro, uh, project? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, post secrets. <laughs> um, how do you think you'd be described by someone you just met? <clears throat> Excuse me, um, somebody I just met. Uh, enthusiastic. Okay, very good answer. Max was courteous. Mine was aloof because I'm not really good. Like when I first meet people, I think it's like a self-confidence thing. 
Um, so I play it off like, you know, I, I can't, I don't have time, you know. Well, my dad is and was an auctioneer, uh, like a old time country oh, yeah. auctioneer. Oh, yeah. And uh, so from the age of, I don't even know what, I was around strangers my entire life. So I always had to be not courteous, but I always had to be, I didn't know if anyone was a customer or someone was there at the farm to pick something up. So I decided to treat everybody with uh, much respect and, and still do, because I think if anything, we've been shown during COVID that we all, we're all in this world together. Right. Right. And I think that, again, when I said, if somebody found me enthusiastic, I, um, I, I, you know, I've been, being a teacher, being on the theater, you know, we're always, uh, bringing our energy out, you know, we're sharing our energy with everyone. And I, and I have a lot of passion for everything that I do. I don't do anything I don't like. I still do a lot of outdoor camping and hiking and backpacking and canoeing. Yeah, I run a, uh, an older scouts program. It's a co-ed program called Venturing. So we've gone to St. Croix, we've gone to Cuba, we've gone to Machu Picchu. So we're always active, active. And so the young people's energy, I can match their energy uh, because I'm always enthusiastic and I have passion for everything I do. And that's, that's something that I think we all bring as, as theater folks. We bring that uh, to any conversation because um, that's just who we are. You know, my kids say I'm ADHD, but. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, also, you know, whether you're as an artist and when you're in theater, whether you're actually currently working on a project or not, you're still always cultivating and learning and and using that those experiences to be brought into your artistry. Exactly. Yeah. So all of your journeys kind of just end up being this big, beautiful quilt that you take with you when you go to tell a story in a, in a theater. Right. Right. And and I could uh, the kids know they look to tell me, Dad, you told this story before. Oh no, I'm running out of stories. So I ran out <laughs> of all my stories during COVID. So. Uh, <laughs> All right. The last one here is, how do you think you'd be described by your boss? Knowledgeable. That is great. Knowledgeable. Okay. There's one last thing I want to ask. And we ask this of all of our guests. Um, I made this box that's, we I just made it up. It's called the Wish Box. It's decorated with um, twigs and things. Anyway, it's it's uh, it's something that I've asked every guest to make one wish, whether it's for themselves, their family, the world, the country. If you had one wish, what would it be? That the world would learn to um, chill out. That means stop global warming, right? Right. <laughs> it also means, you know, loving all living things. You know, we, we take it for granted uh, who we are. We think we're at the top of the food chain and we're not. But, you know, we're, we're, we live in conjunction with the earth. You know, I was taught at a young age, uh, being, learning to be a human being is very, very important. And that was our, our, our number one task. That was our education in the old days as indigenous people, learning to be a human being. And at the same time, having a relationship with, 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 with the earth, that was, that's all we had to do. And we screwed it up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, who's the English, uh, David, um, Attenborough is it Attenborough. Attenborough. Yeah. I just watched his latest, uh, documentary at the age of, I don't know, 88 or yes, 90 yes, or something. Yes. And, um, it's amazing how all of us as human beings go to different places in nature, whether it be the beach or the woods or a hike or whatever, and you have a sense of belonging and a sense of peace and a sense of sanctuary. And then somehow in your, uh, I don't know if it's your upbringing or your education where you're trying to, to have money and become materialistic and make it in some sort of made up you know, career or whatever, somehow you lose that balance of <clears throat> that we, you know, that there is this beautiful harmony of, of nature uh, with, you know, I mean, I, I, people have forgotten that the ocean is a part of the world, you know. Yeah, it's a living, it's a living being. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Everything is alive, even the rocks, the tree, everything is alive. And, and, and even the earth as, as a whole, the, the earth, we call it the pulse of the universe. When the earth breathes, it takes another season happens. So when every time the earth takes a breath, everything combined in the earth, it's another season. So the earth is alive and breathing and we're just on top of it instead of being with it, you know, and, and uh, living in, in within within the, the earth and instead of being, uh, you know, obnoxiously tearing everything apart on top. And that's kind of what your message is in this new children's thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's beautiful. I totally am just going to go here because we were talking about Netflix. We were talking about the earth. We were talking about the ocean and the Oscars just happened. Um, did you get to see that documentary, My o- Octopus Teacher? Oh, my God. Isn't that? Oh, the, the photography alone is was, beautiful. Was, was marvelous. But then the most incredible was the interaction of that octopus communicating with that human being. And that's in the old days, they say we used to they, they used to be, we used to be able to talk to each other and we can't do that anymore. But this man showed us that it's possible to, to speak with people and things that we don't think we can talk to. You know? Right. I mean, that ending, we don't want to spoil it, but I mean, oh. just tears for hours. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic. It's very, very moving. Oh, my God. And that's very cold water. If you know something that was freezing water. <laughs> I know. Right. It was it was it was off the coast of Africa. Uh, no, it's southern the southern tip. Yeah. The yeah. southern tip of Africa. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just love reminders like that. I wish in some way and I guess it's probably I'm standing in the way of me, but I wish in some way I I just had more of that natural reminder um it's so easy to get lost in the day-to-day yeah and that's what i do every day i i I say my prayers i go outside and listen to the birds and and uh they're singing to me and uh i'm trying to write a song based on what i hear from the birds so i just read some sort of interesting uh article on happiness and i don't remember exactly how it went but the birds were related to people's happiness uh sort of like the more birds you birds that you recognized as a human being the happier you were almost like the more birds you were were aware of kept making you more consciously aware that you were aware of them (laughs) yeah yeah i can i can that that makes sense to me because yeah i'm constantly uh checking out the birds and listening to their songs and when i hear new songs i'm craning my neck trying to find that new bird Uh, yeah we have a uh we have some mourning doves around us that have of course the beautiful little coo mm -hmm. and uh, whenever we hear one out we just sort of stop to try to to see it because it looks like a little messenger from god yeah right it is it is sometimes it is i had a Mm. an eagle a bald eagle land in my backyard a couple years ago i was going to do a uh a seminar for uh, for NOAA, the staff at NOAA, the upper management, me and my, my business partner, Scott Frazier, was here, and I said, uh, we were in the back, and then the eagle came and landed, and he goes, oh, man, so we, we that was a sign that we were going to have a good day, but I went in and, and thanked him for, for coming, you know, because he just sat there and, uh, and listened to me babble on, but he was, he was there for a reason. Well, yeah, and just like even the simple not simple, even just the conversation of the navigation s- system that birds have in knowing how to migrate and whatnot around and, the and world. Yeah. And, and we can't even take a trip to Baltimore without turning on a computer. Right. <laughs> yeah, our sense of direction is shot, right? Uh, this is just a random thing that popped into my head, but I see we have a mutual uh, friendship in Allie Curran, yes. the playwright. How, okay, so we wrote a show with Allie. Oh, fantastic. We wrote a show called Silver, Silver Bells. Bells that was at Signature Theater in like 2016. We're going to mount it live on the beach of uh, Chesapeake Beach. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would fit there. Okay. But uh, it's anyway, we, we've, we're we really good friends with her. And what's your, you guys' connection? We love well, Allie. She was the dramaturge for uh, Return to Niobrara when we did it at the, uh, the workshop we did at the uh, Kennedy Center. Ah, and that's where I met her, and she was fantastic, and uh, she had great energy, and uh, uh, I followed her, and I could see her all involved here, and 
uh, in the DC world. And uh, that just, that just uh, excites me to no end because hopefully someday I'll be able to work here in DC. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We, we, we keep trying to get her on this show. So we're, we're, we're aiming for after her semester's done teaching. So yes, yes. She's always busy with her schooling. Yes. Well, we could talk all night. Clearly, Abby, um, it's been fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us. And we please keep us posted on. I mean, we're friends on the Facebook and everything, but you've got my number. Yes, uh, yes. Keep us posted on the, the, the play and how yes, it goes. I'm excited about that. And I'll let you know uh, when it when it finally happens, when I see the dry ink on the page. That yes. And I'm going to be really excited. And um, uh, it's, it's a milestone for myself after you know the, the trail that I've been on in theater. I've always loved theater, but to actually be a. Uh, a part of this, the kinds, you know, the kinds of shows that I've done in the last ten years has just been a, a godsend. Right. Well, congratulations you. to you, and I can't wait to hear what happens next. Thank you very much, and and, and thank you for honoring me to, to be on your show tonight. I'm really no, the honor is ours, my friend. Okay. Honor is ours. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll talk soon, Abby. Okay. Take care. Thank you, guys. All right. Bye. 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 -bye. Wow, that was fascinating discussion with Abby Ibarra. Um, that was a good time. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I think all my words that I used to describe myself were kind of like not great. I, I think I, yeah. I think they were spot on. I think that's right. That's what scares me is they were, they were spot on. Spot on. When, right. what do people do when, mm. it doesn't matter. Yeah, I didn't use... <laughs> I didn't tell him the last one because it felt bad saying stratival. It's really, well, it's good in certain circumstances, but not good for um, polite conversation. Nope. Um, all right. Well, tomorrow's a mini-sode and we're going to do something. We're going to make mini... <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought there was a joke in there, but there isn't. We're, oh, we're going to make mini skirts. My favorite thing about Matt is sometimes he, he like, just stops a joke mid joke doesn't even like explain it he goes yeah well that's like when you and stops and keeps walking well what happens is my mind really races and goes fast and so i feel like i'm a guy in an airplane who just pulled the lever and then all of a sudden is shot out of the plane with a parachute yeah it's it's one of my favorite things about you and um but I clearly need to work on myself and my adjectives. You know, I think that'd be a good idea. How about if I work on making sure that I have the end of a joke before I start one, and you work on meeting strangers and being confidant. 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 I'm very confidant when I walk into L-O-R-U. I'm, I'm confidant. All right, well, um... Uh, that, was a, that was definitely something with dialects what you just did mm -hmm. yeah i think that's that's a cure cure i have not had anything to drink that's the clear indication that that is the end of this episode so as we always say turn your heart into art good night everybody Bye.